Jesus made this similar type of statement about sharing the gospel in all areas. He made it multiple times. Every one of the gospels makes a comment about it that quotes it, except what's interesting in, in Acts this too is that they have different ways of quoting it. Um, going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, going therefore and make disciples. And so some of the question comes up that some who, are, who study those speci- uh, specific different texts say, well, why is it that it's recorded differently at different times that Jesus would have that, that statement? So which statement is correct? When you study the context of the different statements and when he said it as well as to whom he said it, it's very interesting that the Great Commission repeated some five times in the Gospel. All of them have to do with the end of his life, but they weren't all at the same time. Some was the day of the resurrection. Some were during that period of 40 days that followed the resurrection. Some had to do with the exact time, the day that he ascends up into heaven. So when you compare all of those texts and you say, okay, there's different ways that he said it, saying the same thing but differently, it's because he was saying it multiple times to multiple different peoples, which is really, really, really interesting for us that we understand that this concept of sharing the gospel, it was given to multiple disciples in multiple occasions, all of them during the last days of Jesus Christ. But because he stated it so many times in those last days, it's obviously very, very important. It's like you, your last words, you giving final directions. So he's doing it. And when he stated it, and this is, this is important because there are some individuals who sit in churches who say, well, the Great Commission was only given to the eleven and only to those apostles. That's not true. Now, in a, one, of the, one of the settings, that's all who was there when he said uh, the Great Commission. But at other times, when he repeated it during that last few weeks of his earthly uh, ministry, he said it at times to larger groups beyond the apostles. And so we, we don't want to get stuck with saying, okay, um, what he meant here wasn't for us. It really was for everybody. And it basically, he's covering the primary job that he is leading and saying, this is going to be your primary job. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. Our, our ultimate is we glorify God. We glorify God. I understand that. We're doxological. Uh, and we're not soteriological in ministry that says we get people saved at any cost, do anything to try to get people saved, to get them discipled. We believe doxologically our primary, most important thing is we're supposed to be glorifying God. There Therefore, how we evangelize, how we worship, all of that has to do with glorifying God under that umbrella. But as far as activities of the believers when he's leaving, he is saying this is one of your primary objectives is you need to be sharing the gospel. You need to be multiplying yourself. You need to be duplicating. It strikes me that another reason he may have repeated it is because... It's so easy for us to all of a sudden get distracted. It is so easy for us to all of a sudden let something really important slip through the cracks. Certain things are really important in our, in our walk with the Lord. Reading our Bible and praying. They are critical mass for you and me to grow personally. However, is it really easy to get away from prayer and reading your Bible and put it off? Okay, okay. for me it is. Maybe not for the rest of you. But it is easy to get occupied with not bad things, but to get preoccupied with other good things. 
that all of a sudden it's like, okay, um, I'll shorten the prayer time. Okay, I'll shorten the Bible reading time. And so Jesus, I think part of the repetition here is because it is something that's so easy for us to neglect and he doesn't want it to be neglected. And so what we want to do is we've sat back, we've sat, you know, for, for months and months and months now and saying how are we evaluating our own ministries, what are we doing, and... Um, you know, the, the basic essence of where we're at, where I'm at, uh, is saying this is something that we're good at. We're good at getting out evangelism, but are we really good at it? We're good at it as a group, but are we really doing the job on an individual basis as best as we could? Are we as staff? Are we training the best we can train you and equip you to do this idea of getting out the Word of God and duplicating yourself and making disciples? And so in a hard look at ourselves and an honest look, it was like asking these questions. And I'll throw the question that I asked myself, I'll throw it out to you. Have you discipled somebody that you personally came in contact with, that you developed a relationship with, you shared the gospel with, you instructed them, you Bible studied them outside of somebody that came to a VBS or came to some type of service here, but somebody that you made the, you know, in your realm of contact? It's easy for me to say, yeah, I've led people to the Lord. Yeah, I've done Bible studies. But a lot of it has been initiated by institution, by this group. What about my neighbors, the ones I live next door to? What about the people that I have contact with? The co-workers. Well, my co-workers should be saved. But uh, they should be discipled, okay? Um, but I'm talking about you reaching out. You do realize, right, that the majority of people who profess Christ... Beyond kids, the majority of people who confess Christ, their, their introduction to Jesus Christ is not through coming to a church. Right? Their introduction isn't a TV ministry. Their introduction to the gospel isn't, you know, some type of tract distribution. Now, does that happen at times? True, it does. But the vast majority of adults who get saved... You know, who haven't been exposed to the gospel, you know, growing up in a Christian home, who, how do they get introduced to the gospel? We, if we don't know this one, we're in trouble. Okay? It's friends. It's a personal friend. Somebody that they knew, somebody that was interested in them, somebody they felt was interested in them, and somebody that there was a relationship that they had and therefore, they listened to this friend. They saw this friend. They observed things about this friend. And that was used as drawing an interest. And, and when the gospel was shared with them, they listened to it because of that friendship. And so the reality is, Wayne, how many people in Lebanon County have you developed a friendship with outside of Faith Baptist Ministries? How many people have you developed a friendship with and personally brought that individual to a point where they've accepted Jesus Christ and then you've invested in discipling that person. So I, I turn the table to you. What about you? And yet that is what we're obligated to do. So we've sat back and said, we've got to talk about priorities. We've got to talk about adjustments. 
we've got to talk as staff about, you know, we've got lots of things happening and opportunities so that if somebody walks into our door and they choose to get involved, we can do the discipling. Okay, and that's good, that's great, and we want to continue that. But the reality is the majority of people who need Christ, which is our community, they aren't going to choose to walk into our door without some type of initiative, some type of draw, and you and I are supposed to be the draw. And so what can we do to improve in this area? How can we adjust? And so we've got an idea of what we want to do. And uh, it involves a, a whole discipleship type of process. It involves a, a disciple-making uh, idea that is going to create more of the individual, small contacts within groups and create accountability between one another, create small prayer groups between one another, create a culture where we hear this frequently. What, what are we doing? What are we doing? How are we establishing contacts and friendships and what's happening? It's going to be long term, but that's okay. That's okay. This was all about long term. And it's generational. That's okay. That's what the church... And it's organic. That is, it's going to be growing not by a program that has a beginning date and an ending date, but more of relationships and try to have that. And so where we need to start is we need to back up and say, okay, are we a staff? Have we trained? Have we done a good job of making sure that people have the materials and tools by which they could go out and reproduce themselves? And most of you have that great abilities. But we want to expand and say, okay, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? What, what can we have that is more intentional in sharing the word and discipling other people? Now, it all goes back to these ideas. It all goes back to this idea that the Great Commission involves, and I'm going to focus on Matthew 28 because it's one of the most complete passages. It all goes back to the idea of Jesus Christ commanding us with the one simple word that is the imperative in that passage, make disciples. You look at it, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, where it says, All power is given unto me, verse 18 at the end, in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore is... Is a uh, is is not the singular command in the text. It is actually while you are going, teach all nations is make disciples, make disciples of all nations or all peoples. We talked about this last week, so let me just jump ahead. That there's this idea of disciples, this idea of uh, following Christ. It is throughout the Bible. This idea of reproducing, making other disciples. It's a command. It is not something that we have never heard before. It's not something we haven't we haven't been thinking about. It's not something that we have put on uh, on the shelf and never been focusing on. We, we've, we've had that idea. You've had that idea. You have that concern. Who are born again, if you've been saved any length of time, you know that the innately, you know that you want to share what Christ has done. So this isn't something that says, oh, we've failed totally. No, it's just a matter of, okay, let's, let's adjust some of our priorities and some of our approaches to this to improve. And so we talked about what it disciple is last week, if you were here, and again, I'm not going to go through all the materials that we did last week, but we defined that a disciple is basically a 
New Testament concept, understanding how they understood a disciple. It was somebody who followed, somebody who listened to, somebody who, uh, quite frankly, in the Jewish culture, they mimicked their master in dress, in attire, in actions, in, and they tried to duplicate the person in many, many ways. That was disciple. And so when Jesus is talking about making disciples, he wants us to make other people to become imitators of himself. Now, here's the, here's the part of the issue. Paul was doing this, and Paul, in his practical approach and understanding what is needed, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Be ye followers of, of me as I am of... What's he identify for us? That in, in producing disciples, most of us, when we are babes in Christ, what do we need in order to help us to become more Christ-like? We need a role model. We need a role model. Well, that role model, you think this through. Having a role model, having somebody who is personally invested and showing me and teaching me, it's really hard to have a role model in just a public gathering place. It's really hard. I'll tell you a role model here. Okay, and it's picking, I'm picking on all of us, but I'm not picking on us. I have people say this all the time. Everybody at church seems so nice, friendly, happy, like they don't have a problem in the world. That's what's said about you guys. Like you've got it all together. And most of you are going, what? I don't have it together. Over there they've got it. We do the same thing. We say, and so, it's, so when we come together as a group, which is great, which is wonderful, which is biblical, there is a missing element, and part of that missing element is that personal uh, exposure to how to live everyday life. Okay? So what's needed in what Christ said we're supposed to do is making disciples is personal mentoring, getting involved in personal lives, and not just walk up and say, hey, how you doing? And when we're in this public gathering, we walk up and say, how you doing? Most of us will say, oh, I love fine. Okay. <laughs> Even if we're not fine, we're going to say that because we're in a public environment. And so it kind of leaves a gap that says to somebody who is struggling that might say, well, how do these fine people ever have problems? And what do they do when those problems happen? So we need to stop and step back and say, okay, we need this. This is, this is so biblical. There's, there's, we need this public gathering. But we need to somehow also connect the individuals so that the individuals can help provide mentoring and imitation on how to handle trials, how to handle finances, how to handle kids, how to handle the wife or the husband, or should I, the husband and the wife, however you want to put it, how to handle the workplace, how to handle the government, how to handle elections, you know, all those types of things. And so <clears throat> this is very, very important, but it's innately there in Scripture, and yet it is easy for us, especially in our American culture, to come together, do our public thing, and then run home and shut the doors and do our private thing. American culture is different than most of the world. Okay, We're richer than most of the world. 
Okay, and I'm not going to begrudge us, you know, all the technology and things like that, but in most cultures, we, we, here, I'll take it to the church setting. The frequently missionaries will say they're on, you know, like what time does your service start? They're on, and take the culture, they're on European time, they're on, you know, South American time, they're on, you know, Indian time. What do people mean by that? What's that? When they get there, they get there. And when they get there, what do they do? Okay, they often stay. But what, what do people do in those settings that kind of things just drag? People are interacting and talking and talking. In our American culture, what are we more oriented towards? Time. We're very time conscious. I'll prove it to you. At 11.45 this morning... A lot of you will go, whew. okay. <laughs> I'm hoping today that you'll go, wow, okay. <laughs> but we're we're <laughs> we're time oriented, and therefore we're we're not only just time, we're productive oriented, okay. Where a lot of cultures they're relationship oriented, okay. Doesn't mean American culture is evil. It just means we in American culture need to understand that and say. Bible mentoring involves more becoming more relational. How do we do that? How do we do that when we're trying to be time conscious? How do we, let, let me ask you this question. Do any of you think that your life is extremely boring and you have nothing to do during weeknights and you would just as soon have only weekends? You have to work. But forget everything else. You just you have nothing to do, and you're just bored. And you're waiting for me or the pastors to say, "Let's throw something else on your plate to keep you really busy." How many of you say, "I think life is a little bit hectic, and I hope you don't throw another thing on my plate." Okay, okay, that's a reality. How do we? establish mentoring and encouraging to do Bible studies with somebody when your life is busy. How do we do that? How do you squeeze more time? We think we have an idea. We think we have tools to give you that will help you. We think we have, a, we have a, a, some ideas that we're going to suggest through this and some ways that it can help you so instead of adding another night, we can utilize what we are already doing and what you have already, habits and church attendance, things like that, to help you to do one-on-one -on -one discipleship. We think we have some, tool, some ideas where you could take somebody and then walk them through scriptures and take them weeks, weeks, months, months, and into a variety of different helpful areas that we can provide materials for you so that you can do a good job mentoring beyond just the basics of, okay, get saved, get baptized, join the church. Okay, we, we think we've got, we've got an idea of and a... And a process that we can do a better job on, okay, what tools do I have to help somebody with finances? How can I help somebody with parenting? And so that's what we're going to do. That's the adjustments we're going to try to make. That's what we're going to suggest here, that you get involved in, in some of these different focuses. 
but we're going to keep a certain focus ourselves. And so, with that in mind, here's what I want you to go with me, just to Matthew 28. And keep with me, I'll explain some more today, and I have no doubt in my mind we're going to explain next Sunday, after all, a little bit more and show you more than nuts and bolts next week. But here's what I want you to catch. Disciple-making. Disciple making. What does it look like according to the Bible? In Matthew chapter 28, just in this text alone, what is disciple making? To answer that, let's, let's look at what it's not. Let's do a negative first. According to this text, where it says, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the world. Okay, what is not? disciple-making, but sometimes we get caught up in it. We say, okay, we'll do this, but it really isn't what this text is fully talking about. Okay, by Matthew 28, it is not a man-made method for growing the church or one another. This is not something that we have come up with or some denomination has come up with or some other church that said, if we build it, they will come. Uh, That's not this idea at all. This is a method for building one another that does not come from us, but it comes from God himself. It is not passively waiting for the unsaved or baby saints to come to our church, to our ministries. It is not a passive approach to reaching and training and giving out the gospel. It is not impossible to do. I know some of you are right now saying, wait a minute, having friends who are lost and sharing the gospel, that scares the willies out of me. I don't, it's not impossible because lo, I am with you. And that's the, in the context, when Christ says, all power is given to me and lo, I am with you, in the context, it's making disciples. Which, by the way, is it scary to make disciples? Is it scary to give out the word of God? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It absolutely, but lo, I'm with you always. That's the context of what he said. It is not somebody else's duty. This isn't left to the preacher or the deacons or the Sunday school teachers or the ushers or nursery workers or the piano players or those who are female or those who are male or to the adults. By the way, this includes teens. This idea of making disciples. This is your job as well as my job from the words of Christ. It is not the duty, as we just said, to one specific group in the church. It is for all of us. It is not. Now, I'm going to be where, where we are at. It is not merely touching people's lives. We have not completed the task of making disciples by having visitors come to the reenactment. But is the reenactment beneficial? Can it be used? The answer is, yes, it can be an opening of a door. It can be an initiating of a conversation. It can be you right bringing somebody and helping to share your faith. But it is, we're not done. We're not done by doing a reenactment. We're not done by having evangelistic meetings. We're not done by doing some type of thing. Okay, this is much more than a thing. It is not merely getting somebody saved. Okay, disciple-making is not just getting somebody saved. Look at the text. If you're making disciples, you're getting somebody to follow Christ and even taking what other steps? Baptism. And then what else are you supposed to do? Teach them all things. So it's much more than evangelism. So when churches, you know, and, and okay... This is just me spouting off right now. So when churches throw numbers up 
And the number's like, we've led 3,000 people to the Lord. Great. Praise God that you've led 3,000 people to the Lord. But does that mean you've done the job completely of discipleship? Okay. Um, it is not merely teaching believers more of the Word of God. Great. Okay. And this is, this is a hallmark of our church. We try to focus on teaching. Teaching, teaching. I hear this frequently, and I'm going to say it, and it's going to sound boastful, and I don't mean it that way at all. Please, please. God knows my heart. But I hear frequently people say this comment that I thought I knew some things about the Bible, but boy, do, am I learning more and more of the Bible, what it really says. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful we have such good staff. I'm thankful we have excellent teachers. But us teaching one another the Word of God and us teaching only us the Word of God is not fulfilling making disciples. It is part of it. But if we get settled in to just us teaching each other the Word of God, what's going to happen? What's the reality in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? We're going to be, this church would be dead. Okay. It is not completed when you get somebody who you led to the Lord, you get them baptized. Great! They follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Now they can sit in the pew and they will somehow innately get discipled. Okay? They will somehow learn. But I mentioned this last week. They can't ask questions during the public service. It just, it, it isn't, we, we aren't set up to do that. We're not encouraged to do that. That people just all of a sudden, you know, there's chaotic confusion by, you know, somebody's got to sit down with that individual and answer their questions to catch them, to help them to catch up to speed on some of the other issues. I mean, seriously. Some of you have asked, how come I take time, like in the series of Job, why did I take so much time last week to try to rehearse where, what happened to Job? We knew what happened to Job because if somebody walked into this room and hasn't ever heard of Job, so you need, in, in order to continue the process, we need some people to help others catch up. We need at times to be able to go further. And so it's, it's not a program. What, what, what we're going to share with you is not a program. It's not going to be, okay, we're going to start this in September, we're going to be done in June, we'll take a break. This whole idea of making disciples is not a program with a beginning and an ending date. It is a... You're giving some great words. Here's the word we're going to use. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And disciples, you discipling somebody else is for how long? For life. You investing in somebody is going to be as long as the Lord keeps you together and you're, you're investing in that person. It is not looking inward only. What I mean by that is this. Well, what am I going to get out of this? What, 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 you know, what, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to get involved because I want somebody to do for me. Then, then you've lost it. You've lost it because the goal is I'm going to be benefiting by somebody investing in me, but I'm supposed to be... Yeah, yeah. But by the way, I'm, I'm going to throw this out. This is too frequent in our type of church that we have an inward look and not an outward look. And part of it is just because we're proud. We're selfish. So what, we're, what Jesus is talking about is breaking out of your own and my own sin nature and saying, it's not about me, 
Yes, do I benefit, but it's about me investing in other people for life. Not one of many options that we should try. Okay? Those are programs. We're not talking programs. We're talking process. We're talking investment for life. It's not a program. It is not a dated, that is, it's too old, or a dead approach for growing the church. This was what Christ said he wanted to be done, and it still is in effect today and can be effective today, uh, today and in the days ahead. Now, let me show you from the text what I think it is. Okay, and we've alluded to a little bit. It is God's singular plan to follow. Okay, okay it's not a program. We do programs, but God has a plan. Programs are okay in implementing how we're going to get some of God's plan. Programs aren't bad. A program is Sunday school, teaching the kids. That's not a bad thing. But the program of teaching the kids, the process that God has is making disciples. So the teachers are investing in the kids. A program is a Wednesday night service. Okay. <laughs> Some of you just, your head's really bopped up. Okay. Does the Bible say we need to meet on Wednesday nights? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Can it be a tool that we can use to help disciple? Yes. Okay. 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 So, but God's singular plan is for us to make disciples. It is a very simple idea. People building people. People investing in people. People relating to people. It's so simple. But, but we Americans, we Americans, again, we're not relational oriented we're program oriented we're we're that type of thing so we try to build bigger and better things and this is a very simple it's getting back to basics nuts and bolts it says okay it's people investing in people it is universal in that all of us can do this the teens can disciple other teens the retired can disciple the retired widows can disciple other widows or younger ladies. You know, it, it just, you, know, you can disciple your neighbor. You can disciple, you know, some relative. You, it, it can be, it's universal. All of us can do this. We are all to become a disciple. Okay? So the, the, this whole process, when have you achieved following and imitating Christ to the best of your ability? The rapture. When all of a sudden, Romans chapter 8, then we are, we are becoming like Christ by conformed to him totally because of his work. But in this earthly existence, when have you got it all together? Never. You never do. When do you stop learning? Never. You never do. And if we do, if we choose to stop learning, we've made a mistake. Okay. So this disciple idea is I'm supposed to be making disciples but at the same time, I'm supposed to be a disciple. And somebody is supposed to help me in my discipleship, keeping me accountable and you know, praying with me, that type of thing. It is universal in that all of us need someone to disciple us. We need somebody to invest in us. We can use that. We, it, it'll be to our help. It is universal in that all of us are to be reproducing ourselves, investing in somebody else in helping somebody else meet Christ, and helping somebody else to become conformed to Christ. It is interactive, okay, people relationships, 
not institutional. It is, and again, the institution can be helpful and supplement, but this is an interactive process. It is followers of Christ becoming proactive in contacting the lost. God assumes that we're going. So this is a proactive approach to how to duplicate yourself. It is a process, not a program. A process, okay? We'll use programs to help us, okay? If you want to say a library is a program, we're going to use that to help us. But the process is, okay, we're going to, we're going to provide tools and materials, and we're going to do some teaching. We're going to do a curriculum for our Sunday school the next months to help us all do the same learning so we can do the same duplication. And so if you want to call that a program, okay, we're doing that. But it's all designed to help us to be going through this process of us becoming a better disciple and us making disciples. It is organic, not organizational. Organic means building, growing. It's an inherent type thing. Maybe I can explain better. Okay, Organic means we're growing in, in reaching out to other people. We're growing in helping one another become mature. We're growing in this idea of natural reproduction. That's organic. It's not institutional in, a, in, a phys- in, our, in our homes. It's organic in that this is the way life works. It is the process of reproduction, but this time in spiritual activity. It's ongoing. Okay, This is something that we say, okay... Let me take it. The analogy we're going to use a lot is this. Parenting. Parenting your family, your, your others. You can call it shepherding, whatever you want to do. Parenting the individual. Um, that baby's four weeks old. It's got you up late at night. Just once in a great while. Right? Is anybody awake? Okay. Okay. How often do the babies wake you up? Okay. <laughs> so, do you say this is more than a bargain for? I'm taking them back. The problem with that is, who do you take them to? And they wouldn't take them back anyway. Okay. So you've got this process that you embarked on. And aren't you thankful that by the age of two, the human is mature enough at age two to be totally independent? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. That's what they think at two. But is it reality? How long are you investing in training your kids? Now, I have a relative that says 18 and I'm done. Okay. God, God bless those of you who think it's 18. You keep with that, okay? You just keep that goal, okay? What's the reality for it? It's lifetime, your lifetime. When do you stop worrying about your kids? Okay, when do you stop giving advice? Well, yeah, when they reach a point where you're supposed to be asked before you give it. Hint, hint, some of you. Okay, unsolicited advice is intrusion. Um, but when, when do your kids, when are they mature? Oh. <laughs> Is that what your parents said? <laughs> no, my parents said when I was 14 I was mature. But, okay, when the, when the child hits teens, tell me if I'm wrong. Okay, when you hit 12 years of age, you're mature and don't need mom and dad anymore. 
Amen, teens? <laughs> you don't dare risk saying amen. I know, I understand. So when does, when does that person reach... Okay, 18, they move out of the house. Well, not anymore. But 18, they move out of the house, and they're mature. It, it doesn't work that way, because they move back at 18 and a half. Okay? The, the illustration, the, the point is, when do you stop investing in somebody that you lead to the Lord? When has it happened to most of us? For most of us, we were discipled, we were trained, and after a few weeks, we were thrown into the pool and now swim your Christianity. And some of us did what? Now, I'm not sure about you. I get saved in May, I'm in Bible study. But by the end of the summer, I was so discouraged that I wasn't perfect that I went back to drinking as a teenager and went back to all my buddies for one week. But I told them I had been crazy and I was nuts and I was a fanatic. And this is where I have real contact and friends. That's the way I felt. Did any of you feel that way when you got saved? Like you were, you were a lone ranger? somebody needed and I'm thankful that some, some pastors did invest in me and they helped me out and I got into an environment and developed friendships but it really, 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 really really, 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 really would have been so much better if somebody had taken and said I'm investing in you and I'm going to disciple you and had been there when I had those moments had been there when I was struggling when I wasn't sure if I'm really saved how can I be really saved and still do those things? Man, for me, that was just absolutely horrendous period of weeks and months. I got saved so many times in those first few months that, man, I could never sing, you must be born again. I just want to go, again, 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 again. You know, because it just, but nobody was discipling me. We've done that to some of you. We have done that to others. We ought not to be, to be, keep on doing that. We need to adjust and change in the sense of adjusting what we're doing well and improve in these areas. It's comprehensive. What we need to do is we need to be training individuals in all areas, teaching them all uh, in all things. It's repetitive. We're supposed to not just say, okay, I've met and I've you know, met this person. I brought him to the Lord. I've been investing in them. I'm done. No, no, no. Keep on making disciples. Then keep on investing. This is normal. If we're healthy, if we're healthy spiritually, it is normal to reproduce. That's creation order, is it not? Yes, no? The things that don't reproduce are the things that have become absurd or in nature we call them you know, mutants. This is supposed to be our normal, natural, spiritual pattern. We're reproducing other disciples. We're investing in someone or someones. And we're helping them. 
I'm not normal. And a lot of you aren't normal either in this regard. We're normal in what we have defined as normal Christians. But are we normal by what God has told us we're supposed to be? We need to make some adjustments. We need to do some things better. Doesn't mean we stop what we're doing. It just means we need to make some adjustments. So what this is, is for you and me to be, and for you and me to help others to become. A growing process of being a disciple, and keep on growing in that, and making disciples. So what we have is this. It's done this way in the New Testament. This idea of investment in individuals. Jesus is our classic illustration. Did Jesus ignore the masses? Did Jesus stop preaching to the masses? No. But who did he focus on a lot? The twelve. And in fact, who did he focus a lot on within the twelve? The three. Okay? And so so he sends them out to reproduce. They're supposed to go everywhere. Because they aren't going everywhere, he sends persecution. That's how serious he is about this, Acts chapter 8. Then all of a sudden they spread to all the world. They get out of Jerusalem. This is exactly what they're doing in the church of Antioch. It's exactly what they're doing in the church of Jerusalem, that they are getting people taught. They are discipling. In fact, in the church of Antioch, it says that Barnabas and Paul come back so they can disciple the people and the disciples who are first called what in Antioch? Yeah, okay. So it's a process. Paul talks, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm investing in you people. I'm going to come. And by the way, Paul would spend years in investing in some of these as long as he could. And then after he was gone, he would still try to keep in contact. But while he was doing the investing in small groups, what was he investing in on an individual basis? More intimately, Timothy, Apollos, Luke, where he was having that, you know, that contact with those individuals. Ananias and Sapphira work as a couple to help get Apollos trained. First, second, second Thessalonians, read the book. We're going to end up doing a series out of it here as we get into winter months and just keep this emphasis going. But in that book, it's all about how we nursed you as a nursemaid would nurse a child. We were like a father to you in protecting. And so he's talking about those relationships. By the way, let me throw this out. Disciple-making is not something that's given to a broad entity like a hospital or an orphanage and things like that. It's given to local churches. Ministry is local churches that are supposed to do disciple-making. What we want to talk about, and we'll end up here and pick up next week, is this one verse, and we have several others we want to look at. The things which you have heard among me amongst many witnesses, the same commit. What? Dissect the verse. Dissect. This is, this, is, this is written to a pastor what he's supposed to do in his church and get the church to do. Okay? What Paul's telling me I need to do is I need to be taught. What he's telling me to do is I need to teach others. What he's telling me and the other church leaders to do, we need to teach others well enough that they can teach. What he's telling us is that has to be some innate personal involvement in individuals. Teaching one-on-one, teaching one-on-two. This requires... This requires me to entrust others to do more of the church teaching. 
This requires a long-term investment in lives. Paul has long-term in Timothy. Though Timothy has graduated to the point where he is pastoring, Timothy, Paul's still investing in his life. And he's saying, you need to listen. You need to listen. And he's helping him. He's mentoring him. He's taking him through. This implies we need to make choices as to who we're going to invest in. We can, we can reach out to a lot of people. But where we're going to invest and focus primary time is kind of what Jesus did. There was lots of people coming. But he wanted to focus primarily, and he didn't ignore the crowds, but he focused his attention primarily upon the twelve. So as to best duplicate himself. According to this text... Where am I supposed to be focusing attention on? What type of people? This is, this is challenging. You think it through. Faithful people. Spend time with people who are really wanting to learn and grow. Take some time and really help them to learn and grow. There's a lot more I want to say. Let's stop right there. We'll pick up next week with some of the materials. Okay?